Welcome to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your host and conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. Here we take a skeptical, no-holds-barred look at the lunacy of some of the great conspiracy theories of today and the not-too-distant past. We're going to continue from our last podcast where we examine the one-world government conspiracy and its three major flavors. Some shadowy groups, space aliens, Satan, and or international bankers, are trying to push America into a state of chaos so they can take over and incorporate America into a one-world government. Last podcast, we dealt with the space alien connection in depth. In episode two, we're going to deal with Satan and the international bankers. Devil in a Blue Helmet. The Book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 16 to 18. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understand count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. The author of the book of Revelation, St. John, believed he was living in the end times. John writes in the first chapter and first verse of Revelation that things foretold, quote, must shortly come to pass, end quote. Just in case the reader might have missed that warning, John repeats himself two verses later, quote, the time is at hand. John was right. The world and the New Testament Jews came to an end when the Roman Empire destroyed the Jewish state and the Second Temple in about 70 AD. Most traditional biblical scholars believe Revelation, through a form of deeply symbolic code, addressed the political machinations of the day, not a future history. It does, after all, require certain, let's say, mental gyrations to interpret shortly as a thousand or two thousand years in the future. Generations since 70 AD have, however, done their best to ignore the time frame given in Revelation uh, 1-1 and interpret the generally crappy reality they observe around them as fulfilling biblical prophecy. There's an interesting web page, part of the Rapture Index, that offers a lengthy list of various end-time movements since New Testament times. It's important to note that, despite the received wisdom, apocalyptic movements used to divine there in the last days, The world has yet to come to any kind of an end. People keep trying. Modern-day fundamentalist Christians who believe we're in the end times find themselves easily lured into a conspiracy mindset because Revelation itself is as much a conspiracy theory as it is a work of prophecy. Before God's final judgment, Satan is to rule the world for seven years, a period known as the Tribulation. Revelation's prophecy about a ten-horned dragon is interpreted to mean a revived Roman Empire, or, or Starbucks. Since the Roman Empire used to rule the known world, this is code for one world government, or Starbucks. But Satan isn't going to directly take over with a few magic tricks and some exorcist-style head spinning. Instead, his son, the Antichrist, is going to gain political power the time-honored way, deception. Revelation 6-2's description of a crowned rider on a white horse points to an antichrist who is going to emerge as a peacemaker, or owner of Starbucks. Because of this prophecy, Christians, followers of the Prince of Peace, find themselves paradoxically suspicious of individuals and organizations trying to create some harmony among humankind. The UN is high on the list of possible white mounts. 
Christians point out that the UN is not only a peacekeeping organization, but it has an atheistic communist constitution. It's really a charter, but calling it a constitution makes it sound a lot scarier. End times Christians implicate the communists, not simply because they don't like their politics, but because the Bible seems to make a couple references to Russia and China. Revelation 9.16 talks about Satan fielding an army of 200 million men in the Holy Land. Christians seem to think Red China, with its population of a billion plus, is the only nation capable of amassing that many men under arms. I guess they don't realize that India has a billion people. Those who believe the world was going to end in the year 2000 ignored a few technical points, like China's army was about 197 million troops short of the goal. Moscow gets implicated because Ezekiel 38 uh, verses 14 to 15 points to an invasion from a kingdom in the far north. Ezekiel 38.2 calls the kingdom Rosh. Christians see Rosh as meaning Russia. Spooky, eh? However, there are others who aren't sure the one world government will emerge from the UN. Some believe a prophecy about a kingdom ruled by ten kings in Daniel 7 uh, verses 1 to 28 refers to the ten member nations of the European community. They believe the EC is the revived Roman Empire. If you've kept up on your European politics over the last couple decades, you know it's been years since the EC had only ten members. The problem here is religious tracts identifying the EC as a ten-nation organization tend not to get updated as they're passed around, emailed, photocopied to the nth generation, whatever. Although Revelation isn't 100% clear on the instrument through which the Antichrist will control the planet Earth, Revelation 13 verses 16 to 18 is clear on how Satan will maintain control through the mark of the beast, 666. Most of us are going to line up and receive the mark because only those so blessed will be able to engage in commerce. The End Times crowd interprets this mark to be some form of national registration system, smart cards, or national ID card, or implanted microchips. True Christians, well, those remaining on planet Earth after a mass abduction called the Rapture, will refuse this mark. Knowing they won't be able to buy even a strip of beef jerky at the Quickie Mart for seven years, end-timers are stocking up on bags of flour and tinned meat. To make sure Satan's blue-helmeted thugs don't come around and mark them in the middle of the night, they're hunkering down in remote regions of America, like Montana and northern Michigan. Others aren't content with such a passive survivalist stance. They join militia movements, so they'll be able to keep Satan's UN forces at bay. Among Christians heavily involved in the militia movement, a strange form of Christianity has evolved. Its lure is that it answers a glaring omission in the Bible. How come the greatest, most prosperous nation on earth, hint, America, seems to play at most a sideline role in biblical prophecy? After all, the Bible mentions Israel, China, and Russia as players. How come there's no mention of a land beyond the ocean? The answer is found in the Christian identity movement. The Jews of modern-day Israel are not the Jews of the Old Testament and New Testament. Aha! The history of God's chosen people has been subverted by conspiracy historians. Oh, those historians. Northern Europeans are the real Jews. Believers in Christian identity offer some research that proves that Adam, Eve, and the patriarchs of the Torah and Jesus were members of the white race. They supplement this historical evidence with plenty of doctrine. For example, they read a lot into Revelation 2.9, which states, 
I know your tribulation and your poverty, and the blasphemy by which those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Christian identity further argues that the little desert nation we call Israel today cannot possibly be the land of milk and honey God promised his chosen people. America, in fact, fits the biblical description of the promised land a lot better. Did not God promise in Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 to 3, that Israel would be a mighty nation? Who's mightier, huh? Did not God promise in Genesis 22, verse 17, that Israel would be a populous nation? Who's got more people, huh? Did not God promise in Deuteronomy 15, 6, that Israel would rule other nations? Who's running the show, huh? Now that's been cleared up, but a question remains. Who are those guys living in Israel today? Christian identity historians explain that the Jews of today are an offshoot of Khazar tribes from southern Russia. Ah, more commie treachery. Will it never end? Soon. Real soon now. The Banker Conspiracy April 19, 1995. Two alleged men with alleged ties to citizen militias allegedly blew up an alleged government office in alleged Oklahoma City. Of course, suggesting in all that conspiracy, that Usenet news group, that McVeigh and Nichols wiped out 168 innocent women, men, and children is the moral equivalent of suggesting in alt.conspiracy.jfk, yeah, there's one for that, that the Warren Commission got it pretty much right. The initial media government reaction to the bombing blamed Middle Eastern terrorists. Luckily for the Middle Eastern and South Asian communities in the USA, blame quickly shifted. After all, would Middle Eastern terrorists really try to blow up the offices of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in an out-of-the-way city where they would, well, stick out? The date, location, and target fit a lot better with domestic malcontents, citizen militias. Date. April 19th was not only the second anniversary of the Waco Holocaust, but it was also exactly 220 years after 3,000 British redcoats tried to seize the guns of a Boston Patriot group which of course led to the shot that was heard around the world at Lexington Green. Location. In the mythos of the militia movement, secret concentration camps have been set up in Oklahoma to warehouse patriots when the One World Government makes its play for America. Target, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, led the 1993 attack on David Koresh's religious falling at their Waco compound and the 1992 attack on white supremacist Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge. The telegenic bonfire at Waco and the less-known shootout at Ruby Ridge confirmed for a disenfranchised segment of angry white men what they had come to suspect since the end of the Reagan presidency. The federal government is in the grips of shadowy forces seeking to incorporate the USA into a one-world government. Waco, Ruby Ridge, and even Oklahoma were all part of the one-world government's master plan. The militia gained international prominence following the 1995 Oklahoma bombing, but the movement really began to gel after the fall of communism and the 1991 recession. White supremacists, end-time Christians, people fleeing crime and taxes of large urban centers, and blue-collar workers who saw their prestige and earning power decrease with the rise of the information economy began to network. They stuck to areas of America out of the glare of the media spotlight, northern Michigan, Montana, and New Mexico. So out, out of the glare of the media spotlight, they began to cross-fertilize their ideas, using well, what was then new technologies like BBS's fax machines and later the internet. And of course they also used old technologies like shortwave radio, AM talk radio, and Bible tracks. 
None of these ideas are particularly new. In an address to a skeptic society, the authors of well, what was then the 50 greatest conspiracies of all time, I think the book's up to 70 or 80, demonstrated that for the last 200 years, some fringe in America has believed that some sinister forces were on the verge of hatching some invasion plan somewhere. So, the plan. The American and French revolutions, unionization, and concepts like one person, one vote resulted in the unfortunate redistribution of wealth into the hands of the middle class. Never before in history has there been such a large and politically influential group of pencil pushers. Well, that's got to stop. A centuries-old group of international bankers and wealthy aristocratic families have been slowly working on reversing the nasty effects of these revolutions. They seek to establish an all-controlling socialist regime. This new world order is really an attempt to return humanity to its natural order, a small, incredibly wealthy elite controlling a vast labor pool of docile peasants. To take over the world, they operate through non-profit organizations, political parties, think tanks, drug cartels, spy networks, corporations, rock groups, media organizations, universities, and, of course, the United Nations. While some seem to be working at cross-purposes, like oh, General Motors and Greenpeace, they are all, in fact, cogs in a wheel of a flawless democracy removal machine. I mean, don't some parts in a car work in opposite directions, but still result in the car going forward? The conspirators have effectively brought Europe under their domination through the European community and control much of the Third World through the United Nations. The jewel in the crown they wish to wear again is the United States. It's only a matter of time. Much of the government is already under their control. A simple comparison of who's on the government payroll and who's a member of the conspiracy's front organizations, the Council on Foreign Relations, CFR, and the Trilateral Commission, will tell you the extent to which the conspiracy can pull America's strings. Unfortunately, their tactics for taking over a nation, controlling the banking system, feds, media, and schools, isn't going to work 100% effectively in the United States. Because a stalwart group of patriots, the moral progeny of those who faced down the British at Lexington Green, is going to defend America the beautiful to the last. One world government is well aware of what they're facing, and unlike those European countries that basically laid down and rolled over, force is going to be necessary to complete the takeover of America. But first they need to seize the handguns of law-abiding citizens, just like they did at Ruby Ridge and Waco. So they can't pose a formidable threat to the one-world governments, tanks, stealth fighters, and air fuel explosives. Next, they'll push America into anarchy by destroying religious freedoms. They'll burn down churches, just like they did at Waco, and teach kids that science proves the Bible is wrong. Ah, evolution, life on Mars. They'll destroy industry by sending jobs to Mexico and hogtie development with ridiculous environmental laws. Finally, as America approaches the brink of Bosnian-style civil war, why do you think U.S. troops were sent there, huh? To train. United Nations peacekeepers will be called to defuse the situation. Of course, the forces won't actually need to be brought in, as they're already here. Yeah. Little do we know, European and Asian troops are secretly camped out in national parks. When these foreign troops come pouring out of the parks, American soldiers will join them. Through a combination of CIA brainwashing techniques and implanted mind control devices, GIs will simply switch green helmets for blue berets and ignore their oath to uphold the Constitution. Those likely to give the One World Government a hard time will be rounded up and placed into camps. The One World Government can then implement its final solution. 
the international bankers will rid the world of useless eaters. Africa will be depopulated through diseases cooked up in government labs like AIDS and Ebola. Urban centers will be depopulated through the promotion of homosexuality and feminism. If that doesn't work, the conspiracy will fall back in a little experiment they had the Pol Pot regime run in Cambodia. It's all starting to make sense now, isn't it?